good to see you. If you have your Bibles, if you would go to Daniel chapter 4, we're in a sermon series from the book of Daniel. And one of the reasons we believe in preaching through books of the Bible, it creates a well-balanced church. In our humanness, it's easy to stick on our hobby horses. Some, for some, it's, you know, the old school fire and brimstone three times a week. From others in the modern era, it's, it's, it's just, you know, the extreme of, but we, we don't preach the whole counsel of God. And in the long term, we, we get a very unbalanced people that can be in a church 30 years and really not know the will and the ways of the God they call upon. So preaching through a book gives us a well-balanced diet and we learn the ways of God. So Daniel 4, as we continue studying this great book, we're going to read a little bit. I want you to get the story. It's, it's, it's a kind of a longer story, but um, it'll, it'll speak to us this morning if we let it. Verse number 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High has performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He's called Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree, trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him, now the trees of him, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal. Till seven times or seven years pass by for him. The decision is announced by the messengers, the holy ones. Declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me. What it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can. Because the spirit of the holy gods is upon you. We want to use as our title this morning, Learning the Hard Way. Learning the Hard Way. As we continue in this series from the book of Daniel, the overall theme are attributes of an excellent ministry. Attributes of an excellent spirit. In chapter 4, It's a unique chapter in the Bible because it's actually an official autobiographical document prepared by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and distributed throughout his vast kingdom. That Nebuchadnezzar should openly admit his pride, his temporary insanity, if we can call it his beastly behavior, 
and then give glory to the God of Israel for his recovery is a pretty remarkable thing. Imagine Putin doing that. Or imagine, you know, just kind of put it in a context of what's going on here. He learned an important lesson the hard way. Just as people are learning it the hard way today. Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. James 4 and 6. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The summary of our our sermon is Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It accomplishes at least three things. Number one, it warned the king that his pride would lead to judgment. Number two, it exposes again the incompetence of his uh, magicians and, and soothsayers. And number three, it gives Daniel another opportunity to glorify the God of heaven. You know, it wasn't easy for Daniel to give the king the message of the dream, but he did. God gave the king a year to repent, but he didn't. Then God humbles the king, and the king learns his lesson, was restored and gave glory to God. My friend, never ever ignore or make light of the warnings and the mercies of God. It's not worth it. Don't learn the hard way. Respond to the Lord quickly and immediately. We want to break down the story into three parts. We'll look at, number one, the message. The message of the dream. And then we'll focus on the mercy of the dream. And then lastly, we just touch on the ministry of the dream. The ministry of the dream. Now, the message of the dream. It should be, number one, the magnificent. The magnificent tree. The message of the dream. That should be the magnificent tree. The king tells Daniel that he saw a huge tree that reached to heaven. The beast of the field, the birds of the air, took shade in its branches. Its leaves were lovely. Its fruit was abundant. But then suddenly a messenger from heaven cries out, cut down the tree. Trim the branches, strip away the leaves, scatter the fruit. Chop the tree down. All that is left is a stump. And the tree takes on the mind of a madman. The magnificent tree. But then the mandate from heaven explaining why the dream and and why the warning. Simply the purpose, verse 17, is that the living may know, that we may know, that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And He gives them to anyone He wishes and sets over them even the lowliest of men. It's to strip away pride. And it's to give glory and honor to God. Wearsby writes, the grand lesson God wanted the king to learn and that we must learn today is that God alone is sovereign and he will not permit mortals to usurp his throne or take credit for his works. We are but creatures and God is the creator. We are only subjects, but he is the sovereign and the king of kings. And man needs to know like never before that he is mortal. And there is a God and he's not man. I remember the story. and They say it's a true story of the the late boxer Muhammad Ali was on a flight. And as he was sitting in his first class seat, the attendant came by and said to him, "Uh, Mr. Ali, you need to put your seatbelt down. We're getting ready to take off. And. She went about her business. She came back a little later, and it wasn't buckled. She said the second time, Mr. Ali, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to buckle your seat. Seat belt and come back a third time. She says, Mr. Ali, we, we're getting ready to take off, and we can't take off unless everyone's seat belt is strapped on. You need to put your seat belt on. And he replied, I don't need to buckle my seat belt. She says, what do you mean you don't need to buckle your seat belt? Everyone has to buckle their seat belt. He says, well, Superman. Don't need no seatbelt. By this time, she had enough with him. She looked squarely in the eye and said, yeah, and Superman don't need no airplane either. (laughs) Dr. Tony Evans comments on that story. He says, a man has got to know his limitations. Autonomous man, man who believes he can live without God, make it without God, do science apart from God, or create apart from God, will be rudely Awaken. Can you say amen? The message of the dream. There's a magnificent tree. And it symbolizes Nebuchadnezzar. And it's going to get chopped down. But then there is the mandate from heaven. Here's the reason. Because God alone is sovereign. 
And every good thing we have, He deserves the credit and the glory and the honor for. And to ignore that and try to take the glory that belongs to Him is going to be rough on you. It's going to be rough. The moving interpretation. As the king tells the story to Daniel, obviously to Daniel, as he's hearing the story, he's getting the interpretation at, at the same time, and it shows on his face. Daniel was stunned. He's troubled, and the king could see it, and pretty much the king says to Daniel, he pretty much says, give it to me straight, Daniel. Don't be afraid, just tell me. And again, he's in for a rude awakening here. Because verse 22, Daniel looks and says, Oh, king, you are the tree. You are the one that grew and grew in your glory and your reach and inspiration touched the whole world and all the nations came under you. But you failed to give glory to God. So God's going to chop you down until you can realize and give Him the glory and humble yourself before the Most High. You see, the king had been taking credit for his achievements. He had started to grow proud in his position. He was beginning to oppress his people and God said, enough is enough. You see, God is holy. Therefore, He judges sin. But God is full of mercy. Therefore, He reaches out to the sinner. There's our crux of the gospel. No one is ever so big that the Almighty can't cut him down to size. Can you say amen? In for a rude awakening. In for a rude awakening. Those that can go on and ignore the mercy and the grace and the kindness of God. In for a rude awakening like that. Miserly old multimillionaire I read about some time ago. He called a family conference and he told his family, I am placing a box of money in the attic. When I die, I tend to grab it on my way to heaven. He says, see to it that no one touches it until it's my time to go. And the family respected his wishes and after his death, well, you know, the millionaire's wife went up to the attic and of course, obviously, the box was still there. And she said, that old fool, I told him he should have left it in the basement. (laughs) Such is the man, such is any man who trusts in his own riches and his own self-righteousness and achievement and fails to acknowledge and bow low before the God of heaven. They're in for a rude awakening. Somebody say amen. Mm. The cutting down and the trimming of the tree symbolized Nebuchadnezzar's disgrace, his removal from the throne. But the leaving of the stump was a promise that after he learned his lesson, after he humbled his heart, after he acknowledges the Lord, he goes through seven years of insanity, living like an animal because he defied the Lord. He's chastised, he's humbled, living like a beast. But in the end, when he finally comes to his senses and humbles his heart and acknowledges the living God as the one that gave him everything he has, God graciously allows him to be restored and to rule again. Luke 14 and verse 11 summarizes a thought. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The message of the dream. Don't take the credit. Don't ignore the mercy and the grace of God. Recognize any good thing you have has come because God has been good to you. Acknowledge the Lord. Don't resist Him. Don't ignore Him. And don't reject Him. The message, God is able to humble those that are getting too big for their britches. The message is God is able to cut down even the most successful in their own eyes. So there's the message, but here's the mercy. And you see verses 26 through 29, the the mercy of the dream. God's mercy generally means in the Scripture is when God doesn't give me something I deserve. In grace, He's given me something I deserve, generally speaking. Grace, I don't deserve forgiveness. He gives me forgiveness. Mercy, I do deserve that spanking. He doesn't give me that spanking. This is the mercy of the dream. The mercy of the dream. 
Ephesians 2 and verse 4 tells us that the God we serve is rich in mercy. Because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. I want you, God, is rich in mercy. See, there, there is the struggle in, in, in often the modern church that we go to extremes where it's all, all, all mercy and we forget that, that God hates pride and He will humble you and He will break you. And if you don't re- receive Him, you're going to find it hard in the end, folks. There's no doubt about it. But yet God is also full of mercy. He's great in love. And He goes, His patience gets exhausted as He reaches out to men who rebel and reject Him, but He's full of love and mercy. In fact, if it wasn't for the mercy of God, none of us would be going to heaven. Titus 3 and 5 tells us it's by the mercy of God. He saved us not because of the righteous things we did, not because we did all these good things that deserve it, but because of His mercy. Saved us and He washed us and He gave us new birth. So the mercy of the dream We'll break this into three parts. The stump reveals God's mercy. You see that verse 26. And then the appeal, the appeal reveals God's mercy, verse 27. And then finally, the delay. The delay reveals God's mercy. And that's verse 29. The stump. Look at verse 26. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Isn't that good news? Oh, man, you got to tell, go, go call your backslidden children and your backslidden aunt and uncle and let them know. You might be a stump of a mess, but if you finally humble your heart, God will restore you and God will revive you and God will give you another chance. He hadn't forgotten about you, even though you've been trying to forget about him. The stump, though the tree was cut down, Though the stump means it was enough left that it could survive. And that one day it could revive and be restored and grow again. The stump says there's hope for the fallen. And there's hope for the wayward. And there's hope for the backslider. There's hope for those that have been deceived by sin fallen into the terrible snare of the fowler. There's hope if you'll learn and if you'll turn. There's hope if you've been cut down like Samson was. But in the end he said, remember me. And there was hope because there was still a stump left and God remembered him. That thief on the cross, you don't get cut down much more than that. Just breaths away from eternity. Remember me, he cried. And because there was a stump, there was a hope. And he, Jesus, said, this day you'll be with me. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, God was saying, you'll be humbled and you'll be broken, but I'm not giving up on you. I'm leaving a stump. I'm leaving a hope. You're on a dangerous path, O king. And you need to change. And I can do it if you let me. That's the beautiful thing. God can change the heart if we let him. God can break the proud, stubborn heart of a man and a woman if we let Him. If we'll respond to the good news of the gospel. If we'll cry, uncle, and surrender our right to rule over ourselves and say, God, have your way, have your way. Take away the stony heart and give me a heart of flesh. God says, I'm able to change you. I'm able to transform you. And many of us here today testify to that beautiful fact that God can transform a life. God can take a hardened man or woman. God can take a proud man or woman and make them brand new and make them into new creatures. Many of us here today, we knew what it was to be a hard person a violent person, an angry person, but all the amazing grace of God is able not just to make us religious, but reach down into the very depths of our being and make us brand new. Is anyone glad this morning Jesus made you brand new? He made you brand new. And some life had driven us to being a stump because of our wayward choices and our rebellion and our do it my way. And I don't want to hear what you've got to say, Granny. And it led us to a life that was cut down. But God, let there be a stump that it could grow again. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, your pride and 
your failure to acknowledge the true and living God will cost you. It always costs you to rebel. It always costs you to ignore the word and ignore the warnings and ignore the wooings and the love of God. It costs you. It will cost you seven years, O king. There'll be pain and shame, but I have not forgotten you. Get on the phone and let the backslider know God hadn't forgotten you. You don't even like to hear that about God, but I'll say it again. God has not forgotten you. I pray that when you sleep, He'll speak to you. I pray that when you walk through the store, He'll go after you. I pray that you'll never, ever get it out of your mind that God, God hadn't forgotten you. Oh, King, you're going to suffer for rebellion because you sow what you're going to reap. But when you humble yourself before me, you will recover and you'll be restored. Oh, this is the mercy of the stump. The stump reveals God's mercy. He could have just uprooted the whole thing and said enough is enough. But he left the stump that there might be hope. That there might be hope. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I know some, they're on their deathbed. Moments from eternity without Christ. God left the stump. God left the stump. And with that little that was left, the gospel seeped through. With that little that was left, finally, the hardness melted. And there was a brokenness that called out, Oh God, remember me. Oh God, save me. And from that stump, grew a life that is healthy and strong and winning for Christ. Now, God, He doesn't want to have to be extreme with men. That's really not in His nature towards men. He's not willing that any perish. He he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Bible says that clearly. He will rather that we turn and receive the mercy of God. He'd rather that we respond to His gentle warnings, to His inner convictions, to His biblical or, 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 or parental corrections, that we, would, that we would respond to the close calls of life that are not us getting away with it, but God trying to get through to us and, and give us a warning to turn. You're on a dangerous path. But the Bible is clear. He does deal with men. God deals with men. And he has to discipline those he loves or he's not a father. But when he does discipline us, it will learn and will turn. It will spare us from so much unnecessary regret, shame, heartache. And it will produce in us a good thing, a growing thing. A maturing thing. My friend, be quick to respond to the call of God. Be quick to respond to that nudging of the Holy Spirit in your life. The stump says there is hope. And I thank God this morning for the loving wooings and warnings and wake-up calls of a heavenly Father that loves us too much just to let us go about our way. But He reaches out to us. He calls out to us. He'll cut us down only if He has to, but He'll cut us down if that's what it takes to bring us to our senses and bring us back to where we need to be. Can you say amen? All right, give you a little Bible. Some of you need some teaching. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. Glory be to God forever. My Lord, orashata, feeling something. I'm going to tell you, it's hard not to get roaring right about now. You know, this is a roaring message. You see, that's why you've got to preach that Bible. See what I mean? You want to jump around from every kind of, you know, wishy-washy text, and you want to get to something like this. It's hard to keep it, you know, somewhat encouraging. But this is a sobering message. This, this, this man was the ruler of the known world. Conqueror of the world. And God said, I don't put up with it. God said, I'm not going to chop you down. Imagine that. Dictator of the world. God, God says, you're not going to praise me? I'll, I'll, I'll humble you. you act like an animal. Seven years he went insane. He was driven out. Terrible thing. Terrible thing. Go down to his own people. God is full of mercy. And because of that mercy, he reaches, he calls. 
verse 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the words of encouragement. These are words of encouragement that addresses you as sons. sons. You're not a good parent if you don't discipline your kids. The Bible says so. That's what the Bible says. You don't discipline your kids, you're not a good parent. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible calls proper discipline something that should encourage us. It says you've got a parent that loves you. Amen? I met a lot of people who said, I wish my parents would have disciplined me. I wouldn't have been in the mess that I got in had I had a parent that did something discipline my life. Have you forgotten that words of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, my daughter, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't mock it. Don't resist it. Don't, don't you know, where people love, where people, no, 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 no. God loves you too much. Like a parent, he's not going to let you stray without trying to hinder you from going down that road. My sons do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't, listen, don't lose heart when he rebukes you. We got things so messed up in the church that we, we don't know God from the devil half that. We blame the devil for things that God is doing. God trying to discipline someone to wake them up as he sees the path they're going down is going to lead to regret and disappointment and heartache. We're rebuking the devil. Don't rebuke the devil. Repent. Say, God, forgive me. This is you spanking me, but you love me and you see what's going on and nothing else would work. He didn't want to spank you. He tried to talk to you from that book. He tried to speak to you through other people. He tried to let close calls come, hoping these things, man, I better get with it, man. That was pretty close to really losing my marriage. That was pretty close to, come on. You didn't get away with it. It was the mercy of God trying to give you another chance. Before you reap the terrible consequences of resisting and rebelling from the clear instruction and love and direction of the Lord. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Don't lose heart. It's a loving parent trying to put you on the right path, trying to protect you. Don't lose heart. Because the Lord disciplines those he Those he loves. Those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as a Wow. It's not for me to punish your child, it's for you to punish your child. Punish mine. God's our father. He punishes his children. Because he loves them. It's not a thing of a harshness. It's not a thing of a meanness. The Bible says it loves. Those he loves. Not those he's fed up with. In our humanness, we mess up everything. We don't even discipline properly because we're fallen creatures. We've got to do the best we can. But sometimes we discipline out of a wrong motive, but never God. He's not disciplined he's frustrated. He's not disciplined he had a bad day at the office. It all comes out of love. And everything God does is perfect, even when he disciplines us. So the author of Hebrews is saying, understand when God deals with you, he's not doing it because he had a bad day at the, at, at the office. He's not doing it because something happened on the other side of the world and it's frustrating him. He's doing it because he loves you as a son. And he wants you to steer and grow and mature. And he's trying to protect you and train you and teach you. Because he's a good father. Look, look I think it's verse 11. Jump to verse 11. Is that the one I have? Whatever the other verse I have. Go ahead. Um, jump to that one. Verse 11, yeah. 12 and 11. 12 and 11. Now, let's be honest here. Amen? I had a good dad. I got a great dad. I got a great dad. It wasn't for my dad. I don't have a police record only for my dad. The only reason. That's it. I had a fear of dad before I had a fear of God. That's all I did. I love him. I'm, I'm honest. I love him. My dad is great. He never missed a ball game, but he was tough. I mean, he, if he said it, he found out you were somewhere. He went. It was, I, I could go on forever with the stories. He, he had a hard-headed son, and I needed a hard father, and God gave me a perfect one. Anyway, but I've learned this. This is so true. Verse 11, verse, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Come on. Can we say Amen. I've been disciplined a lot. It was never pleasant. Amen? Never pleasant. Oh, that hurts me more than you. It hurt me a lot. It must have really hurt them. <laughs> and when God disciplines me, it's not pleasant. You know what I mean? I could have done that in two months. It's going to take five years because I was too pig-headed to do it God's way. And I took things. My own. I mean, you know, however it goes, right? 
I'm t- so true. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. <laughs> Amen. Somebody say later on. When you grow up. When you grow up. You're not when you're 15, 16, but when you grow up. Say, man, I'm glad I had a tough dad. Man, I'm glad I had a dad that put some borders and said, you cross these borders, son, you're going to feel it. Thankful for that. Involved. Involved. So you grow up in a small town and everyone works, most everyone works in the factory. Everybody knows everybody. So it's amazing things to get back home. Amen. There's like lookouts everywhere. You couldn't go anywhere. Someone didn't know who you were. And then the word got back and then out came time to pay the piper. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on. See what I mean? We have to understand the dealings of God are not supposed to be yippy yappy, but it's for the later on that we can look back and say, you know what? Still going good. Because God, when he had to a couple of times, he knew how to get me back. He knew how to keep me from this relationship that might have been dangerous, from that decision that might have, oh, the goodness of God. Later on, however, the discipline of God produces. The discipline of God, which is from the love of God, produces. See, that's why if I take light, the discipline of God, I don't receive what that discipline was created and intended to produce in my life. We were saying on Wednesday nights as we were studying from Adam, from, 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 from Father Adam. We all get our fallen nature from Adam. Very first thing we notice about Adam, wasn't my fault. The very first thing, all human beings, we don't like to take the blame for anything. It was the woman you gave me, amen? God, you did it. Why didn't you let me touch that tree? That ain't right. I don't like the way you're doing things. I mean, all the excuses, I mean, from Adam, from the very beginning, human beings like to shift the blame. And when I do that and I start rejecting the disciplines of God, the things that I could have learned when I was 18, 19, 20, 25, 30, I'm still not learning when I'm getting near 60. And so the things I could have passed it, got the T-shirt, got the degree, God don't have to take me through something like that again. It's no longer um, cursing my life. I've seen men, I'm just using, I've seen men lose good jobs because they couldn't shut their mouths. Can I talk to you a little bit? Because they couldn't shut up. They had to keep their mouth going. Had a family. Had kids at home. They couldn't hush up and just do their job. Had to always give their opinion. No one cares about your opinion. You're not paid for your opinion if that's not your job. Stay in the factory. Do a hard work. Put in a good day. Sing unto the Lord while you're doing it. Go home and take care of your family. Come on, say amen. No, no, because then the whole church, oh, my, I lost my job. You lost your job because you didn't grow up. And at that time, he's in his mid-50s. Yeah, he's had that struggle since he was 17 years old, come out of the army at 19, same problem. Couldn't learn to shut his mouth. So it's not like God didn't deal with him. See what I mean? And had he listened when the Holy Spirit convicted him in services, when he knew that's a struggle. My wife and I fight because I yell, blah, blah, blah. But if he would have learned it then, right? No harm, no foul. See that? No harm, no foul. But you take light the Lord's discipline. You don't let it work its righteousness in you. You don't allow it to produce a good harvest in you. So what happens? You ignore it. You don't receive from it. Finally, it gets to that point where, boom. Now God says, maybe, maybe a stump of unemployment. I'd rather not your kids be affected by it. I'd rather not have to put your wife under it because of your inability to... It wasn't my first choice. Are we getting into this? Am I, is this anything? All right? Are we hitting it? The discipline of God, which is an expression of the love of God, we are not to take light of, we are not to ignore, we are not to make excuses to run away from it. We are to accept it, not as condemnation, we are to accept it not as accurate. We are to accept it as the expression of the love from a heavenly Father that wants us to grow and mature and keep us from things that down the road could harm us, harm our families, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if we allow that discipline to work, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace, and peace for those that have been, oh man, trained by. Have I been taught by the disciplines of God? The discipline of God is to train me. Amen? 
And I was thick-headed as anyone. Sometimes it took two, t- three times. And finally, that was it. Never again. That's the last time by the grace of God. That last call was too close. Now, I'm feeling the flames now. Starting to feel the flames. I need to wake up. I need to get with the program. Amen? And finally, started getting trained by it. Started learning to yield to it. Found out it's a lot easier to respond to the, the voice of God than the wooden spoon. Italian family, wooden spoon. Amen? You have to, they talk to you once. Out comes the wooden spoon. Your little bam, boom. Wooden spoon. Older I got, Grandma challenged me. I'll put away the spoon, bring out the wooden mallet. You know, when he got to say, getting a little too big for the wooden spoon. Grandma, I'll bring out the mallet for you. You know, but I learned, I learned something. It, it, it didn't. It, it was a lot easier if the first time I said, "Jojo, put that down." To obey then, than to have her have to do a second time. Then the wooden spoon's coming, and the wooden spoon's gonna hurt a lot more than the voice. God works like that. He'll talk through that book, won't he? He'll talk through that book. The husbands love your wives. Don't be exasperate to your children. Treat your children the way you're supposed to. See, be a good worker on that job. Do it unto the Lord. You know what the Bible says? He's going to speak that to your heart. You're going to be on that job doing something dumb. Holy Spirit's going to convict you. You're not one of them. You're not one of them. The mother guys can take all this time off. You're not one of them. They could be cheating and stealing. You're not one. Holy Spirit's convicting you, but you know you're different. Speaks to you in the Word. And I don't even then out of the blue, the preacher preaches a message. How did he know that? Oh, he don't know nothing. He's just a simpleton up there, but God knows everything. And I'll think, God, oh, so I mean, I know it in the book. I learned it from Sunday school on up. Holy Spirit kind of convicted me on the job. Now I'm hearing it. Three strikes, brother. Three strikes. Oh, man, you're going to push God more? You're going to keep pushing God? Oh, my. Oh, Lord. This hope, if you'll learn and if you'll turn, that means change. Hebrews says that I'm trained by it. The disciplines of God. Wow. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Jesus. Jesus. The stump reveals God's mercy. And then in in verse 27, the appeal. The appeal reveals God's mercy. God makes this appeal through us. God makes this appeal to us. That's a whole Bible study by itself. But here's Daniel in verse 27. And he stands before the king. And they've been together now many years at this point. There's been probably a good decade, maybe 20 years between chapters 3 and chapter 4. So Daniel and this king have been working close. And Daniel's heart's going out to him. Oh, king, turn. Oh, king, heed the message. He's appealing to them. He's crying out with a broken heart. King, take this opportunity. Receive God's invitation. Respond, King. Humble yourself. Acknowledge the Lord. Change your behavior. Acknowledge God. Daniel illustrates, I want you to hear this so good. Daniel illustrates the beautiful ministry of truth and love. Courage to speak the truth. Love to plead with the wayward and the rebel to wake up and turn. Not make light of the mercies of God. Don't, don't, don't ignore the opportunity to spare yourself and to come in line with the Almighty. Because now is the accepted time. And today it is that day. The, oh, the Daniel is illustrating such a beautiful truth. It took courage to reveal this to the king. This king was a violent man. He throwing him in the fiery furnace. I mean, he, this king was, was, was a violent, conquered the world. God says, Daniel, I want you to tell him he's the tree. He's going down if he don't. So Daniel, in a beautiful mixture of courage, truth, and love, was able to speak the clear word of God to the king, even though it demanded courage and you didn't know how the king was going to respond, but also he had enough love. To pour out his heart and plead with the king. What a beautiful example. You see, Daniel didn't divorce truth from responsibility. He interprets the dream. Then he brings home to the king the personal and practical application of God's truth. And that's important for all of us. For every believer to understand that it's not just knowing the truth in the Scripture, but it's the applying and the living out 
of the Scripture that God requires. Those that understand God's plan, it opposes on them the, the responsibility to do God's plan. For the Bible says, for everyone to whom much is given, much is required. Yeah. This is the appeal of God's mercy. And this is the appeal. It, it, it comes through the voice of the preacher. It comes through the pages of the Bible. It comes through the Holy Spirit that prods people and alerts people. It comes through the dealings of God in life where we think it was an accident or a close call and really it was God trying to warn us, God trying to show us something, God trying to speak to us. But, oh, friend, God is appealing to all that are straying, to all that are slumbering, to all that are growing lukewarm. He appeals lovingly, he, he, compassionately. He says, wake up. Turn around. Get your life in order. Don't ignore it. Get back to that first love that you used to have for the Lord. Get back to that righteous path that you know is the will of God for your life. Flee from those that are not serving God. Get away from those that are trying to lead you away from that righteous path. Come back. Turn back. And let God have first place in your life again. Come on. That's the appeal of God. Don't let it run its course. Come back and spare yourself. Spare yourself. Don't got to go to prison. Spare yourself. Don't got to chase that wife off. Spare yourself. The delay of God's mercy. Hallelujah. The stump reveals the mercy of God. The appeal reveals the mercy of God. The delay Reveals the mercy of God. You know, even after this powerful dream and this passionate warning and plea from Daniel, God still gives Nebuchadnezzar 12 months. 12 months. Yet the king continues to reject, ignore, make believe God didn't speak. I've spoken words. I mean, it's just the Lord. It was like prophetic out of the pulpit. Later on, I found out exactly what was going on. Wouldn't, wouldn't probably, probably wouldn't have wanted to say it if I'd known. And sometimes they never turn. They never turn. They hear it. They don't turn. Here, the king got a powerful dream. God gave him the dream. Then he had a passionate interpretation and pleading. And this king had seen the power of God. He saw the fourth man. Amen? He, he saw the power of God through Daniel's life. And then even after that, God, who is full, rich in mercy, gives the king 12 months. 12 months to get right. 12 months to turn things around. 12 months just to bow and acknowledge, I didn't do all this. It was the true and living God that enabled me to do all this. That blessed me to do all this. The king continues. He refuses to respond to the delay in the patience of God. But how many know God has a limit? God has a limit, folks. God has a limit. Never confuse God's patience with His acceptance of sinful behavior or disobedience. Come on. That's what got Samson in so much trouble. But God's patience is another expression of His love and mercy. Waiting for people to turn. Wooing people to respond. And make things right. And also giving you and I that are walking with God. Time to keep praying for them. Time to reach out to them one more time. That God would wake them up before it's too late. Second Peter 3 and 9. 2 Peter 3 and 9. You see, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. What promises? The promise is to receive his, the righteous and judge the wicked. He's not slow. He's going to fulfill His promise, whether it's to save or whether it's to deal. God is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness, but He's patient with us. Aren't you glad God's patient with us? But He's not wanting anyone to perish. But He wants everyone to come to what? To turn. To change. Stop doing what you're doing. There's a danger in delay. There's a danger in delay. I remember... The story, Dr. Sweeting, Dr. George Sweeting, he pastored Moody Memorial, and I think he might have even been president of the school for a while. He writes about taking his family to Niagara Falls 
during the spring, and he says it's you know, the, the big chunks of ice going over the falls, pretty, pretty neat. And he says embedded in all these big chunks of ice were, were the carcasses of dead fish. And so, of course, all the seagulls are coming down and they're having, you know, a buffet, right? They just, they're just going at it. And he watches them and as it goes, and just before it tips over the falls, they fly off. And he goes, I'm watching this one and I'm thinking, wow, that guy's cutting it short. I wonder when he's going to jump off. And I'm kind of watching this one as he's drifting farther than the rest. And finally, those big, powerful wings go out. And he begins to move it. He actually lifted this chunk of ice about three feet off from the water. But it was too heavy for him. He broke down and crashed into the abyss of the falls. And he writes in the book, Oh, the danger of delay. Procrastination is deceptive and dangerous because it starts to make us numb to the call and the convictions and the the life-saving convictions of the Spirit. Oh, folks, God speaks to you, respond. I'm going to stop it there. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. Hallelujah. Oh, folks, God is so good to us. God is so good to us. God is so good to us. Learning the hard way. I don't want you to learn the hard way. Whether you're young or old, I don't want you to learn the hard way. As your pastor, please don't learn the hard way. You could be husband, wife, you could be a child. Don't learn the hard way. God's way is a better way. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. There's a yoke of obedience and submission, but it's a lot easier in doing things your own way and having to go through the suffering of rebelling against the mercies of God. Amen? No, don't learn the hard way. When God speaks to you in His Word, obey the Word. When God begins to convict you and deal with you, listen, don't, don't put it off. Take ownership. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I need to change that behavior. You're giving me a warning because you don't want me to reap the fruit of it. You're trying to spare me. Amen. God tries, like any parent, you want to spare your kids from. That's why you warn them. That's why you discipline them. Mm, 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 mm. So how we're going to end is like this. If God's dealing with your heart and there's something you need to deal with, don't leave here before you deal with it. Don't shrug it off. Don't make light of his discipline. His discipline might just be frustrating you until you come to acknowledge, God, there's something in my life you're not pleased with. And if I don't respond to it, you're not going to let me have that peace. A lot of times the lack of peace is merely the Spirit of God frustrating his child to get their attention and get them to come to terms and come to the table and say, let's talk. Amen? You remember God said to Job, hey, Job, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. Where were you when I gave the world its first spin? Where were you when I taught the sparrows how to sing their song? And so sometimes that frustration is not your wife and it's not your boss. It's the Lord saying, I need to talk to you about something. But I do it as a father that loves you. And if you'll deal with this, I'll help you deal with it. And you can avoid a lot of things, see. So wherever you're at, whether you're young or old, number one, let's learn from this lesson. That God's mercy and His patience doesn't mean acceptance. But if God is speaking to us and there's something we know is not right, today is the day to respond, make a fresh altar, and begin to change that. Amen? Acknowledge the Lord. Humble ourselves before God. Secondly now, you're doing all right. Praise the Lord. Everyone's got a backslider in the family. Everybody's got someone. They might be down to a stump right now. But if they don't return, if you reject his mercy, you will receive his judgment. There's no other alternative in the book. So if you're here today and you've got some people in your life that you know are not where they need to be, can you give them a few minutes of prayer? While God's giving them the delay, he's giving us an opportunity to pray for them and to cry out for them. And if God would so lead you to speak out to them, that they would hear the goodness of God, that they would turn and get things right. Number three, if you're here and everything's great, you need prayer, we always pray. If you're sick, we'll lay hands and God's going to touch you and do mighty things. But let's respond to this word. It's a sobering word. It's an educating word, but it's a good word. It's a nourishing word. It's a mature word. 
but God wants us to be equipped by it. Stand with me, please, and bow your hearts as we pray in our final prayer and sing our final song. Please, if you're here today and you need to respond, don't leave before you do. This is God's warning. This is God's wooing. God doesn't want to have to deal harshly with people, but he will. God don't want to send anyone to hell, but he will. So respond to the love and mercy of God. Stop putting it off and lay down every excuse. Now, you might be honest and say, I'm doing real well. Then would you please give a couple of minutes towards someone that's not? Someone that's so far rebellious, they're not even hearing the voice of God. Maybe you can pray through. And that hardness will begin to melt. And that resistance will begin to... The stump speaks of hope, the appeal speaks of God's voice calling out and the delay, giving us time, giving us time. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this word from the book of Daniel. A word that teaches us your ways and expresses your heart and your will. Father God, we thank you for the life of Daniel. Help us to be like him, that we would speak your truth in love. That we would be courageous enough to speak your truth, but we would be compassionate enough to speak it through tears if need be, to speak it with, with a love and a kindness and a compassion in our hearts. And Father, from the lesson of Nebuchadnezzar, help us to learn, O oh Lord, not to be slow or resistant of your disciplines, but to recognize your discipline, whether it's through a warning, a loving word, whether it's through a close call in life, a conviction, but your warnings and disciplines are an expression of your love as you love us. And you have what's best in mind for us. And Lord, if there be anything in us that your Spirit is dealing with, that you have been addressing, Lord, we don't want to put it off anymore. We want to turn and make a fresh altar. We want to acknowledge you and humble our hearts before you afresh, Lord. We want to avoid that. We want to stay in step with the Spirit. Lord, we pray for our loved ones. All of us, our brothers and sisters, family members, friends, that once walked with you and they've drifted and they've rejected your word of come back. They have ignored your compassions and your mercies that are imploring men and women to come and return and serve you, humble their hearts before you. So Lord, as we have these two moments, Use us to lift up the backslider. Use us to stand in the gap for those that have been deceived by sin. Have grown deaf to your call. Oh God, open their ears. Oh God, soften their heart. Bring them back. Bring them back. Bring them back. Oh God, who is rich in mercy. Bring back that grandchild. Oh God, who is rich in mercy. Bring back that strength parent that once served you. Oh God, who is rich in mercy. Break through that hardness. Break through that spiritual blindness. Oh God, who is rich in mercy. Penetrate that heart. Melt it. Do what you need to do to wake them up and bring them back to that place acknowledging you, calling on you, and humbling them lies before you. Father, move through this altar time. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, let's worship the Lord. These altars are open. Pray for loved ones. Come if you need to make it right.